0: How's everybody doing today? It's uh, it's a joy to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. It's also a special joy when they let me preach because it has potential for disaster sometimes. But I'm going to do my best to uh, deliver a message today that I hope will be beneficial for all of us. Um, Before we start, I'd like to open in prayer uh, for myself, uh, for you, um, and uh, we'll get started. Father God, we are so thankful for this church and the members of this church and the leadership of this church. Lord, we are just coming to you this morning and asking that you would guide and direct uh, our hearts to be receptive to your word. Um, We're going to be speaking on a difficult topic, Lord, and I just pray for those that are here today. If there is some questioning or doubt about where they are, who they are, I pray that you would settle those issues today. And uh, most of all, Father, I ask that you would be glorified in everything that is said this morning, and that we would have a great time of fellowship. And um, we love you, Jesus. And we pray all these things in your name. And all God's people said, amen. All right. We're going to do what we always do, for starters. Siri, start timer for 30 minutes. 30 minutes. All right, here we go. Got to play it safe. So uh, today, what I'd like to discuss with you, um, I'm thankful that you're all here. And I brought this up to a few people, and they were really kind of uh, shocked that it would be something that I would talk about, because there's not a lot of... um, I guess, guarantee in the uh, uh, topic, but we're going to try and do our best to uh, put some things out there to give you some assurance. Uh, And so today we're going to talk about uh, the assurance of our salvation. How do we know that we're actually a child of God? How do we know, I'm outside the, no, I'm not outside the tape. How do we know that we're assured that we are believers, that we're actually going to go to heaven? This This is without a doubt in my mind, the most important thing that we should ask ourselves. Um, And I wouldn't say that you should be afraid, but the Bible does say that we should examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And so today, um, what I wanna look at is um, just a way for you to determine uh, whether you're saved or not saved, but that is strictly between you and God. I can't make that decision, I can't make that call Um, And neither can anybody else, so don't let anybody ever try and make that uh, assessment for you. Um, However, um, I just want to say this, there are plenty of ways to identify a believer uh, within yourself and within other people, just by the way they live their lives, and there's other factors that we're going to look at today, but before we get started, there's two different perspectives on salvation. I'm not going to dig extremely deep into both perspectives because it can lead down a rabbit trail that never ends, and I've been down it. There's a perspective of the Calvinistic view, which I'm sure all of you have heard of, which the Calvinistic view states that once you become a believer, that you are essentially locked in. There's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. Uh, Everybody probably has heard the term, once saved, always saved, correct? So that's the Calvinistic view. They have a tulip theory. Uh, I'm not going to get into that, but if you want to look for yourself... The tulip theory goes into explaining on on kind of what the Calvinist uh, belief is. On the other side of that token, you have the Arminianism view, which states that there is the potential to lose your salvation, that you can fall from grace, and that you can actually, um, yeah, you can you can give away or lose your salvation by not being obedient to God. Um, I actually, from a perspective of where I stand, I stand uh, with the Calvinistic stance because of the way that I experienced my salvation. Now, I'm not saying that that's what you need to believe, but my experience was uh, where I had such an irresistible draw from God that it was almost, not almost, it seemed impossible for me to deny his calling in my life. Uh, And that's what would be called irresistible grace. And that is part of the tulip theory. So for me, um, that was just part of my own experience. I'm not saying that's your experience, but um, again, that's between you and the Lord. So today we're going to examine various texts that I hope will ease your heart, hopefully provide you with a peace of mind as to whether you're a child of God. On the other hand, I'd also also like to ask that you search deep within your heart and ask yourself if the qualities and characteristics that we talk about, do they really match your life? And so uh, in the end, I must reiterate that going to God... Again, as I said, is the surest way to determine where you stand with him. The Bible says that Romans 8, 16, that we should prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to testify with our spirit that we are the children of God. So when somebody asks me, Pastor John, I don't know if I'm saved or how can I know that I'm saved? The passage that I will always direct them to is that, that particular passage, because if the Holy Spirit does live and dwell within you, the Holy Spirit is going to give you that assurance that you are God's child. Um, and so, again, if you have those doubts or questions, um, the Spirit will uh, give you a sense of peace. Uh, and you'll, and you'll, you'll experience a love that you've never known. And there are various other signs that we'll also dig into later. Before we jump into the actual points of the sermon today, I want to pose the most obvious question Do you believe that it's legitimately possible that we can have assurance of our salvation? Can we truly trust that we're going to heaven for all of eternity? And my answer, I would say, is undeniably yes. I I believe that we can know that. For starters, it's important to mention that I myself would like to believe that everybody sitting in this room is a believer. I would love to believe that. But again, I can't say that. But I also know this, that we've all, in our walk with Christ, whether it's been for one week or whether it's been for 50 years, I'm sure have all experienced some doubt. And we've struggled with the question of who, who we really are. Um, we have maybe made mistakes, not maybe we have made mistakes as believers. We know that we don't instantly become perfect when we are saved. So when we experience these times of searching and questioning with the doubt, these can be opportunities for us to push deeper into our understanding of the Lord. God does not rebuke his people for honest inner struggles. Hear me again. He's not going to rebuke you for an honest inner struggle with where you stand. It's okay. It is Okay. Um, He doesn't question—he's not going to fault you for having questions, emotions. um, And even in the midst of those doubts and darkness, we can show God's presence through faithful living. We can show that he is a good God by continuing to do the things that he's called us to do. I don't think I need to bring him up, but I'm sure we can never forget doubting Thomas, right? We know him. And we also know Peter, who denied Jesus three times. And again, I'm not going to expound too much on this topic, but— In times of doubt, you may be encouraged to reflect on the ways God has shown himself to be true to you and not be afraid to face questions, and so that will deepen your relationship with him. So just when you go through those valleys where you wonder, example, you know, I went through, all of you know, heavy bouts of, of illness, you know, I mean, it was just terrifying and really, really started to get me down, and I started to question, like, why is this happening? You know, what God, what are you doing to me? And then i you know i look back and i started to remember all the goodness in my life and all the good that god had done and it just really changed my perspective and knowing that even though i was walking through that valley and having a struggle i was going to be okay and so are you um it may be tough but you are going to be okay and so um again um don't be afraid to ask questions so that you can deepen your relationship with god so if you were to ask what is assurance if you actually look it up in the dictionary, I think it's important that we actually know what the word means. I'm not going to give you the Greek definition. It's pretty basic. It's a positive declaration of confidence. It's a promise. Assurance is a promise, which is a guarantee. It cannot be broken. It is something that once it is said, it's done. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians 430 that um, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sealed is known as a guarantee or promise in um, biblical times when you had a seal um, it was irreversible you couldn't go back on it and so it's essentially the same thing with um, our salvation from my perspective and what i believe the bible says one thing that i firmly believe is this i don't believe that god wants you to wake up every day of your life asking or questioning internally as to whether or not you're really saved can you imagine a life like that Can you imagine waking up every day asking yourself, did I do enough yesterday to be in good stance with God? That would not be a pleasant way to live. And so he doesn't want you to question whether you're his child. Did we mean it when we surrendered? The sad reality is, is that people do end up struggling with this. And I'd like to try and put your mind to rest on this topic, but we're human. We are going to struggle. I also want you to be, I want to be sure of this too. This is equally important. Just as much as I want you to believe and be assured of your salvation, I also want you to know this. I don't want you to be misguided into thinking that you're somebody that you aren't. It's equally important so we can start the process of getting you to a place of knowing that you can become a true believer, that you actually are saved. So you know, there's two sides here, you know, and I I want for us to look at both of them. One thing I firmly believe, like I said, is, um, you know, most people will do anything for salvation — excuse me — what would a person do to know with absolute uncertainty that they have salvation are going to heaven. What would you do for a family member to help guarantee their entrance into heaven? Most would say they would do absolutely anything. I have family members that if I knew there was something that I could do, uh, I share the word with them. But if I knew there were other ways that other religions say that we can get into heaven, um, not saying I would do them, but, you know, I would love to know for sure that my family was going to heaven. It breaks my heart to know that I have friends that are probably not saved. But um, I... You know, I would mostly do anything. And so some go to great lengths, even as far as trying to uh, buy you or family members their way out of hell. How many people have heard that? That you can purge somebody out of hell. Everybody knows that comes from a particular religion, right? You can just tithe and buy somebody's way out of hell. This was an issue in part that led to the Reformation. There was a Catholic monk and his name was Tetzel. If you've never heard this story, it'll be brief. But he was teaching that for a certain price, you could buy a ticket for a loved one who had already died, and we know this isn't—basically, the ticket was to get them out of—get them out of hell. We know this isn't true based on the story of the rich man and Lazarus. If you read in Scripture in Luke sixteen twenty six through 31, I'm just going to paraphrase here, but it says, the rich man wanted to go back and tell his brothers that hell was actually real, and so is the torment, but he was informed that once he had died, that there was no way to get to the other side. And when you die, if your faith in Jesus wasn't secured, there's no reversing that choice. Once you take your last breath, where you stand with God is where you stand with God, and there's nothing to do—there's nothing you can do to change it. And so um, uh, the majority of the Catholic belief system, I believe, you know, their their belief there is thrown out the window in reference to purging somebody out of hell. In regard to Tetzel spreading false doctrine, I don't know if you've heard of Martin Luther, he wasn't happy about this, and he went out and nailed his 95 thesis to the church store in Wittenberg, and this sparked off what was known as the Reformation. Everybody's probably heard of the Reformation. And so this was also known as the major movement in Western Christianity in the 16th century. But why would people pay this uh, Catholic monk's fee 500 years ago? For, they did it for assurance for a loved one to go to heaven. You also hear of, like, these Muslim men who commit terrorist acts and so on and so forth for assurance that they're going to go to heaven. You know, if people are going to take other people's lives and they're going to pay out money for assurance that they're going to go to heaven, you know, what would we do for assurance? How much is it worth for you to know with absolute certainty that when you die that you're going to go to heaven? In my humble opinion, I'd say it's worth giving up your entire life here that we're told is but a vapor to know that we're going to spend all of eternity with Christ. We're called to surrender to Jesus. This much of our life, it's just but a speck in the grand scheme of things to gain all of eternity. And that is very hard for us to wrap our heads around. And I know it's like we're in the here and now, so it's difficult, but he's asking for your life and he's going to allow you to spend all of eternity with him. And if you really understood that, I think it's a pretty easy decision to make. Now, you know, I'm not saying that it's going to come overnight, but it, it is something that I, I believe is, com- you know, not common sense, but I believe it's a... Uh, something that is heavily outweighed. So it is because most people will do anything for assurance because as humans, we crave that. We need a sense of security. And I don't put a lot of stock in psychology, but sometimes, sometimes I do believe they get it right. Hear me out. Studies say that one of the things that children need most in order to properly develop mentally and emotionally is a sense of security. And the assurance that no matter what, their parents love them. Those children who never know where they stand with their parents, who always get shuffled around, who never know if they're loved or not. Those are the children that typically have problems as adults. Their mental and emotional growth is always stunted because they come to a place where they finally never, never find security. The same principle applies to a Christian in knowing their stance with God, finding solid ground to stand on. So I'm convinced that our Heavenly Father, as Christians, as children of God, we need to know that we're safe in His hands and that no matter what He loves us. If we constantly live in fear that maybe we are not Christians or maybe God stopped loving us because we committed a certain sin, we're never going to know or make any progress in our Christian life, and our growth is always going to be stunted. The sanctification process will be stunted in our lives. Romans eight thirty-eight through 39 says this, For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rollers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's pretty self-explanatory. If we're trying to revive our lives and get on track with God, there's nothing better than a sense of God's unconditional acceptance, infinite love, and undying grace. Undying grace, sorry. And the good news is that gaining assurance doesn't take money, and it doesn't take any amount of works. Uh, let me explain how to know you have eternal life and provide you with a few things that should be on display in your life that essentially provide validation that you're a true believer. All you need to be sure that you're a true believer is just by placing your faith in Jesus. This is why it's so hard for us as, pe- as people to believe that we are saved, because it seems so, so simple, but so difficult, too. You have all these other religions that are all works-based, and then you have the, Christian, the uh, Christianity that says... Just place your faith in Christ. And for us, it's like, well, don't I have to do something else? Don't I have to, don't I have to, you know, work? Don't I have to earn something here? But that's the way we're wired. We're wired to feel like we have to work to gain, right? That's not the case here. And that's why it's so difficult. Uh, It seems like, you know, it would be common sense, but it really isn't. It's a real big struggle for a lot of people, even myself. So we're going to talk today, uh, the first point we're going to make here is assurance of salvation is based on God's word. Assurance of salvation is based on God's word. J. Wilbur Chapman tells the following story of how D.L. Moody used John 5, 24 to help him get assurance of salvation. He said he was studying for ministry and he heard that D.L. Moody was going to preach in Chicago and he went to hear him. Finally, he got in to see him. He said he would never forget the thrill that went through him when he came and sat down beside him as in the choir, D.L. Moody. He asked if he was a Christian, and he said to Mr. Moody that, I'm not sure whether I'm a Christian or not. I actually don't know. He very kindly took his Bible and opened to the fifth chapter of John, the 24th verse, and it reads as follows. Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that heareth my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death unto life. He says, suppose you had read it through the first time. Wouldn't you think it was wonderful? I read it through, and he said, do you believe it? I said, Yes. He asked, do you accept it? And I said, yes. Well, then you're a Christian. Mr. Moody, I sometimes think I am, and sometimes I'm afraid I'm not. Mr. Moody kindly said, we'll read it again. Then he said, do you believe it? I said, yes. Do you receive him? I also said, yes. Well, he said, then you're a Christian. I just started to say over and over again that sometimes I was afraid that I was not a Christian, when the only time in all the years I knew him, Jesus did nothing but love me and was graceful and compassionate with me. Moody looked over and said, see here, whom are you doubting? then he saw for the first time that when I was afraid I was not a Christian, I was actually doubting God's word, not God, not God himself. I read it again with my eyes, overflowing with tears. He said, since that day, I've had many sorrows and many joys, but I've never doubted for a moment that I was a Christian because God said it. If God says it, it is true. And so I also want to just give you one more passage that verifies that particular uh, topic that I made. And it's in uh, John 10:28 through 30. It says, "My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one." I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Point number two, assurance of salvation is not based on our works. This is probably the most important thing that we're going to talk about today because I believe that it is the one thing that people get the most tripped up on, that they believe that they are going to go to heaven. Most most people, when you ask them, do you think you're going to go to heaven? Yeah, I believe so. Well, why do you believe that? Because I'm a good person. I've done good works. I've tithe. I'm not a liar. I'm not a cheater. Those things may be true, but... Ultimately, they're not, they're not a guarantee that you're going to heaven. I mean, they're just not. And assurance of salvation, if assurance of salvation is based on works, what assurance do we have that we're going to continue in those good works? We may be able to have assurance of salvation now, but we can't guarantee future assurance because none of us can guarantee that we're not going to fall away. To claim otherwise is pride. Assurance of salvation is based on the promise of God alone. If you look at Romans 4, 4 through 5, it says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Imagine for a moment that you have been, I want you to hear me out closely here, because this, uh, this, is, this is pretty important. Imagine for a moment you've been witnessing to a woman, and one day she agrees with what you've been showing her from scripture and believes in Jesus for eternal life. You've been, you know, sharing scripture, and you rejoice with her for a minute, and then she gets into her car, she pulls out into traffic, and she is hit head on and dies immediately after surrendering her life to christ do you believe she went to heaven of course she did her faith was as far as we know placed in jesus for eternal life and so we look in ephesians 2 8 9 it also says for grace you have been saved through faith this is not of your own doing it is a gift of god not a result of works, so that no one may boast this woman had no chance to do any good works right if it was based on works i don't think she's making it is she so i mean there, there are plenty of scriptures that lead to that but Imagine that she pulled out the traffic and arrives home safely. She attends church faithfully for a few years, gets involved with the choir, but then her husband loses his job, goes into deep depression. He uh, commits suicide and she enters a period of depression herself. And one night goes down to the bar, gets drunk, picks up a man, gets pregnant, and for fear of what people will think, she ends up becoming a drug addict. One day, high on drugs, she's driving her car, loses control, swerves into an oncoming lane, and she's hit by a car and killed instantly. Did she go to heaven? She still placed her faith in Jesus Christ, even though she fell into a pattern of sin. And so there are many people who will say that she did not because she either lost her salvation or proved she was never saved in the first place. However, we have already established the fact that according to the word of God, that she was saved. And if she died within one minute of believing in Jesus, she would have gone to heaven. Scripturally speaking, here's the perfect story. You need to look no further than Luke 23, 39 through 43. We all know this story. One of the thieves on the cross looked at Jesus Christ and said, "Save yourself, and save us." This is paraphrasing. But the other said, "Do you not fear God? We are receiving what we deserve." But this man says nothing wrong, and he said to Jesus, "Remember me when you come into your kingdom." Jesus replies, "Truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise." You see, brothers and sisters, it's never too late. And this thief had no chance to perform any type of good works that Jesus would be able to assess to determine whether or not to grant him salvation, if that's the way it worked. One of the most incredible stories of compassion and mercy in all of the Bible. According to scripture, there's one condition, believe in Christ for eternal life. First Timothy 1.16 says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So here's what I want you to know. You don't have to clean yourself up. It's not going to do you any good to try and get yourself fixed and together and then go to God and think he's going to look at you differently or treat you differently. No good works are going to help you. Our good works are looked at as filthy rags in the Bible. Only believing in Jesus, the one who did it all for us, results in the reception of the gift of eternal life. That is it. Assurance of salvation is a sure knowledge that you have eternal life because Jesus guarantees it to everyone who believes in him. He does not go back on his word because we go back on ours. He keeps his word even when we fail to keep ours. Think about that. Jesus keeps his word even when we, we, we don't do what we say we're going to do. That is astounding. That is the definition of mercy and grace. I mean, that, it's incredible. So this is a powerful truth for serving God effectively. It's very difficult to serve God if you never know where you stand with him. This is why Satan loves nothing more than to make us doubt God's eternal love for us. Satan loves to put a wedge in there, but if we know we have eternal life and that God loves us and forgives us infinitely, then we are liberated and free to serve him with all of our energy and passion. Outside of this, all you're going to do is waver in and out and be tossed like a wave to and from. You've heard of that passage. Our lives will be filled with constant struggle, doubt. When this happens, it can wreck you in every capacity of your life, spiritually, mentally, physically, financially, so on. It can cause health problems, anxiety, stress, you know, you know how it goes. So so let's say you are struggling with assurance of salvation and you remain in that commission over and condition over time. What would motivate you to continue in doing good works? Surely one of the main motivations would be fear of hell. Since to lose assurance is to cease to believe Jesus' promise. Once our motives are so corrupted, even the good works we do lose their ability to please God. I've been around a lot of people who believe they can lose their salvation and think they need to provide proof of their place with God. And I've also been around a lot of people who are fully assured based on the way they live their lives and trusting what the word of God says. Both views are prevalent within the church, but to assume God would take something back that he freely gave you would make no sense. You didn't earn anything to gain it. So, I mean, he's not going to take back a gift that he's given to you. You can't lose something that you didn't earn to begin with. So let's look at some texts real quick. We're going to wrap up here briefly that show us God's heart on the assurance of salvation. 1 John 5, 9 through 13. 1 John, if you want to know whether you are a believer, I would extremely, or I would strongly advise you to go to the book of 1 John, which is written to the believer. It is a book that is written to basically get you to ask yourself some questions. It's to the believer and it will help you understand, am I who I think I am? First John five, nine through 13 says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in the son He who has a son has life. He who does not have the son of God has no life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. So God wants his believers to remain certain until the day they die. He wants you to know until the day you die that you are a believer. The basis of certainty, believe God's testimony. There is no test by works at all. And so we look... And we have a story here where Jesus said to this woman, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives in me, believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who has come into the world. I want you to note the tenderness of Jesus here. He wants us to be sure that she knows he will resurrect all who believe in him. And those who believe in him will never die spiritually. That is powerful stuff. Then when she affirms she believes, he doesn't rebuke her. God wants us just to take us at his word. This is a great promise, and I just can't understand how anyone could think that God would want to keep us in the dark. He doesn't want you to be in the dark. And the third and final point that we're going to make today, and then we'll wrap up, is that Jesus is a man of his word. He cannot lie. He's reliable and faithful to keep his promises. He's a man of his word. He can't lie. John 5, 24 says, most assuredly, again, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Note the promise that he shall not come into judgment or condemnation. Note the verse includes present, future, and past tenses. He covers all the bases. However, I want to say this, and again, this is also a very important point. Just because you're a believer and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You do not get a free pass to sin. Everybody has heard the term called licentiousness, right? If you haven't, I will briefly explain it. It means that somebody thinks that because they are a believer, that they can just live their life however they want. And that it doesn't matter because I'm saved and God's not going to send me to hell. Is this true? Absolutely not. So when you become a believer you have to remain obedient. There are guidelines that are placed in the Bible that Jesus wants you to follow. And so, you know, when someone feels like they can just do whatever they want, um, they're basically saying, there's a passage that says, let us eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. You can't live it up just because you're forgiven, guys. In fact, the book of First John, as I told you, is a book to the believer, says that someone that chooses to live like this is probably more than likely not a believer. I'm not saying you're not going to struggle with sin, but if you think that you surrendered your life to Christ and you just decide that you're going to just continue to live the same way you did before, there's a pretty good chance that you're probably the same person. You're, you're, not, you're not changed. You're not, uh, the Holy Spirit probably doesn't indwell you. Um, but again, on the other hand, I also want you to know this. The word of God also says that God will chastise his children and he's not going to allow you to continue in sin for the sake of shaming his name. So if you are a believer, you ought to know that if you do fall into a pattern of sin, that God will reign you back in. He should reign you back in, and you should feel conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but if you're wondering what the, I guess, the flesh looks like, how somebody would live versus how somebody would live with the Holy Spirit, you can go to the book of Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 25, it explains Explains very well how sinful people live then it goes into the second half of the verse and explains very well how the Christian lives Um, you see the fruits of the spirit in there and then you see uh, a lot of negative things in the beginning so in conclusion I would ask you this do you believe that God loves you unconditionally this is the most important question do you believe that no matter what happens If you've truly surrendered your life to Christ and you've said, Jesus, I believe that you came, lived, and died on this earth and paid for my sin, and I am going to surrender my life to you and I'm going to do my very best to be obedient in all aspects of life, do you believe that God still loves you unconditionally, even if you are to backslide or sin or have a struggle? Many church people struggle to believe this, but It's true. He does love you unconditionally. Many church people think that God is looking for any excuse to send them to hell. And this is not true. It's a very sorry view of God that sees him as wanting us to fear hell till we die. What human parent does that with their kids? Are we better parents than God? Of course we're not. Since we are made in God's image, it makes sense that we want our children to be secure in our love just as he wants us to be secure in his. Rejoice in your eternal life and in your good God Assurance of salvation is meant to encourage, motivate, and brighten us. Tough times call for solid rock certainty. In closing, if you want to gain assurance of salvation, as I mentioned, the book of 1 John, chapter 5 specifically, has several questions that it will ask you to determine whether or not you're a believer. I'll read just a few of them, but there are 10 questions in there that I went through the passage and wrote them out. And you can look at these questions, and you can get a pretty good, you know, You can get a pretty good observation of where you are. What has God given us? Who has eternal life? How do they get eternal life? Who does not have eternal life? Is there an alternative? Has this been written so that we may hope we have eternal life? Would God lie to us? And have you received the son? Those are just some of the questions. Lastly, according to 1 John 5, 11-13, if you have believed in Christ for eternal life, you have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, our salvation cannot and should not be based on our feelings. We've talked several times in the past on how those come and go and they can't be trusted. The enemy wants you to doubt God's goodness, just like he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. When you become a believer, you don't become perfect and will continue to struggle with sin until the day you die. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. Now, I do want, you, I do want to say this. Though sin shouldn't be a common theme in your life, it should diminish over time and the struggles with it. It should become less and less as you live your life, the sanctification process should allow you to become more like Christ and less like yourself. My 30 minutes are up, but I'm going to take two more. So if you want to throw a tomato at me, now's the time. So as I mentioned, sin should not be a common theme, but rest assured that you will more than likely always be struggling with something. Um, However, the the conviction of the Holy Spirit uh, shall always remain for the believer. Do not give Satan over to your mind or give him the opportunity to doubt what you know to be true and stick to what you know the Word of God says. Furthermore, I'd like to encourage you to remember that God's word says, and never forget it. If you have truly trusted Jesus as Lord and savior, you can be assured that you are his and that no one will pluck you from his hand, John 10, 28. If you're struggling today, I would encourage you to get with myself, Pastor John, one of the trusted leaders in the church, a trusted friend who can talk you through these tough times. In closing, if we can put it up here real quick, I know we probably had some struggles with the slides. they were a little mixed, but this is probably the most important slide. If you're sitting here today and wanting to know, am I a believer? This isn't guaranteed, but it's, it's pretty close. Here are a few signs of the true believer. If these are present in your life, you should find peace and comfort in knowing that you are saved. Number one, you're filled with the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, self-control. Everybody's familiar with those. You've repented and turned from your sin. Number two, you've repented and turned from your sin. You have a deep hunger for God's word. Number four, prayer and Bible study are a regular part of your day. Five, you no longer desire the things of the world. Six, you have a deep desire for others to know Jesus. And seven, there is evidence of a changed life. You look at the person that you once were and the person that you are today, and they're completely two different people. And that's my story. I am, yeah, still struggling with things, but I'm a completely different person than I was 10 years ago. And I want to say this to you. Um, As I mentioned in the beginning, there is no surefire way that I could come up to you and say, yeah, you're a believer. That is between you and God. So if you are sitting here today and you are struggling, please, please go to God in prayer and please see somebody and talk to them about it. It's the most important thing that you're ever going to do in your life is surrendering and committing yourself to Christ. It's the only thing that really matters. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. By surrendering your life to Christ, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect, but it certainly means that you know where your eternal destiny is. And that's what's most important and should matter most to all of us. So I hope that you're able to take something from this. I hope you were able to look at your own life and make a decision or uh, look within yourself and say, you know, yeah, I'm I'm pretty certain that I am who I think I am. And if those characteristics don't line up with your life, then uh, I think you need to go to God and just ask him to help you Uh, Along that process and he will he will not cast away anybody that comes to him So i'm going to wrap up in prayer. I'd like to thank all of you for uh, being with us this morning Uh, We love you guys And um, i'm going to make two quick announcements after the prayer and we will uh, we'll get out of here very brief All right, pray with me father god. Thank you for loving us and thank you for your word. We know that your word is the ultimate guide and the ultimate stamp to help us to find the peace that we need, that we are your children. I know for some of us, there's a struggle, maybe on a day-to-day basis, sometimes they come um, just randomly and we're not sure why. But Lord, I'd like to ask that for somebody in the room or multiple people in the room, that you would give them the assurance that they are a believer, that the Holy Spirit would testify with their spirit that they are the children of God. And so again, we thank you for all that you do in this church and in through these people, Uh, and the service they commit to the community Uh, we love you father we thank you and it's in jesus name we pray and all god's people said amen